What's up, world? This is the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. My name is Zach. I pastor a church located just outside of Athens, Georgia. The name of the church is Calvary 316. Yes, there are some fantastic 316 verses in the Bible. Uh, But the name of our church is really based on the fact that we're off of Highway 316, Calvary 316. If you're local, check us out. Uh, Our website is uh, calvary316.tv.org.net.com. We own them all. Um, Once again, we'd love for you to come and visit us. Our service is at 1030 on Sunday morning, especially if you don't already uh, have a church home. I hope you stay with me regardless over the next hour as I seek to deconstruct the negative perception that the world has about Jesus through the way that they see Christians. You know, as Christians, we've been given this this calling. We've been given this calling, this heavenly mandate, uh, that the world is supposed to be able to see us. And in seeing us, they're supposed to see Jesus. And so the way that it is designed to work is that the world is supposed to reach the right conclusions about Jesus by observing the behavior of believers, of Christians. And yet, so rarely... <laughs> Is that actually accomplished, right? As a matter of fact, I think the world has a lot of negative uh, misconceptions about Jesus because of how poorly Christians actually represent him. Uh, One of the topics, one of the things, uh, and if you you do some research, you'll see all kinds of polls on this. You know, Christians have, uh, you know, the world has this perspective of Christians that we're that we're judgmental. Or, you know, that we hate gay people, um, that we're cliquish or self-righteous. Um, one of the big things, and I, and I think it's a tragedy, one of the grand misconceptions that people have of Jesus um, is that Jesus is a killjoy because of the legalistic Christians that represent him. Uh, a church culture that legalism has created and not the gospel um, that, that really presents this, this idea that if you're a follower of Christ, uh, your life stinks and it's no fun, and that following Jesus uh, means that um, that you're you're a prude, that you're no longer allowed to laugh or have fun or dance or have a good time, that somehow following Jesus uh, you have to now sacrifice um, anything that might be enjoyable in life, and really I think that's an absolute shame. It's a tragedy. Um, but it's still a reality. And the reality of why that's the case is because of legalism. It's, it's as Paul would say in Galatians, a distorted gospel. Understand, the Bible is absolutely crystal clear. That not just your salvation, but your sanctification is based in God's grace and grace alone. And what I mean, I, I know I used two... Uh, two large words there. Salvation, this, the, uh, you're, you're saving. Um, what, what puts you in heaven? Um, the, the forgiveness of your sin through the atonement of that sin by Jesus' work on the cross, uh, thus declaring you justified before God so that God sees you just as if I'd never sinned, which then makes you righteous. You're declared right. God's like, you and I are good to go. That's salvation. That only happens, it only occurs, it only takes place in your life through a work that Jesus did on Calvary and not one you, you've you done. And while most Christians would, would agree with that, that salvation comes by, by, by faith 
through a work of grace demonstrated in Jesus, uh, a lot of a lot of the misconceptions end up being uh, centered around sanctification or now how do I grow? How do I become godly? How do I become more like Christ? Jesus saves me. That's great. It's a work I couldn't do on my own. But now we get we get lulled into this 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 idea that now the things that I do, the sacrifices I make, somehow enhance or build upon a work initiated by Jesus. And it's really silly. It's really silly when we get this idea that we're a two-man team with Christ, that it's me and Jesus uh, doing this thing. Because it's not. Like, I am five foot eight white. I've got a, a like a three inch vertical. Um, I am not what you would what you would conclude to be much of a basketball star uh, or a basketball player. And yet, I don't I don't even care who's listening right now. Um, I I promise you, I don't care how good you are. Uh, me and LeBron James could beat any of you at a two on two basketball tournament. Um, greatest basketball player in the world. Now, the reason we would beat you has absolutely zero to do with me. As a matter of fact, it would be ridiculous for me to be a ball hog in such a dynamic, for me to keep the ball from LeBron James. You see, really the only job I would have in that dynamic would be literally not to dribble, not to move, but to throw the ball in the general direction of LeBron James, who would snatch it out of the air and dunk it on your face. Like the idea for me to be able to like have me and LeBron James beat, like that's just ridiculous. Because I'd have nothing to do. My only job would be to get the ball to him. And that is what Christianity is. It's just getting the ball to Jesus and getting out of the way. And yet legalism slips in and says, oh, no, 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 no. There's more to it than that. You have more responsibility than that. It's not just grace alone. let Let me try to... Let me try to explain how we distort this wonderful good news of, of grace period through subtle distortions, legalism. Uh, truthfully, I found that there's really three ways that the gospel of grace gets distorted into what we would call an anti-gospel. Now, an anti-gospel, that doesn't mean that you're anti the gospel. It means that you're a substitute to the gospel. Um, it's not the antichrist in the sense that he's anti-Christ. It's he's presenting himself as a replacement Christ. So when we refer to an anti-gospel, we're referring to something that replaces the gospel. And if you add anything to grace, period, well, that's not the gospel. Because all you need is grace found in Jesus. And what Jesus has done, it's his work and it's not yours, friend. But there's three ways and let me let me kind of summarize them in just three simple sentences. The gospel says it's grace, period. But anytime you find this phrase, grace, comma, and do these things, that's that's an anti-gospel. Or if you find someone say, well, it's grace, comma, but don't do these things, that's also legalism. Or, and, and this is kind of uh, a legalistic manifestation. But if you find grace, comma, so I can do anything, it's also a distortion to the gospel. Now, now first, there is this anti-gospel of grace and do these things, which, which really says that you are saved and sanctified by grace and the things that you do. Now, now sadly, there are people who see the true nature of the gospel 
as being just too good to be true. I mean, I mean, they reason that, that how could it honestly be that God's favor would really require nothing of the individual? That, that God's favor is designed to just be received and not earned. That the process of becoming like Christ occurs independent of your works, your disciplines, or your involvement. You see, there are people that see grace as being an affront to their pride and their, their sense of self-sufficiently. So they'll accept God's saving grace, but these people will then establish for themselves a religious code by which they then seek to earn God's favor or at least prove themselves worthy of God's favor. And to accomplish this, they, they substitute the gospel of grace alone for what, what Pastor John Corson calls the three R's of religion. Basically, that their relationship with God is based on grace and their obedience to rules, the first R, regulations, the second, to ensure obedience to the rules, and thirdly, rituals, in order to demonstrate piety and devotion to God. And yet, like here's the truth. If the basis of your relationship with Jesus is grace and the things that you do for God, your service, your religious works, then you not only fail to fully understand grace, but tragically you're saying that Jesus' death and his resurrection is not enough. But, but there's a second anti-gospel distortion, and that's, that's the idea of grace, comma, but don't do these things. Which basically claims that you're saved by grace, but sanctified by the things you refrain from doing. Now, once again, there are people who see the true nature of the gospel as being too good to be true, but in a totally different way than that first distortion of grace into these things. In this grace but distortion... People see that while God's favor is designed to be initially received, they fall into this, this burden of seeing God's continued favor now as something to be maintained. Sure, they'll absolutely 100% concede that there's nothing they can do to save themselves. And they'll see human involvement, though, as then being essential to sanctification or becoming more like Jesus. Yes, their relationship with Jesus is, is foundationally based on his grace, something they couldn't do, a gift given to receive. But these people believe that, that that favor can now be fostered or deepened by the things that, they're, that they willingly and sacrificially give up for Jesus. And sadly, what's produced from this particular outlook ends up being nothing more than a wicked form of Christian legalism that establishes a moral structure and a church culture that demands liberties to forego and things to be sacrificed all in the attempts of being a better Christian. And to do this, and in the place of just emphasizing the enjoyment and the freedom that comes from a personal relationship with Jesus, they pile things onto it. Though God's favor is given at the cross, many believe that God will simply be more pleased with a person when they abstain. Abstain from what? Well, typically, a non-biblical list of do's and don'ts people create for themselves. 
It's legalism. It's legalist. It's not the gospel. Once again, when anyone says they've been saved by grace but are sanctified by anything other than God's grace, they've distorted the very nature of grace itself. Like, here's, here's the truth. At the basis of your relationship with Jesus is grace, comma, but the things you refrain from doing and the sacrifices that you make for Jesus, you not only fail to understand what the gospel is all about, but you're saying that Jesus' death and resurrection are insufficient. But, but there's a third distortion, and that's grace so I can now do anything. It says that you're saved and sanctified by grace, so there's now no restrictions to the things that you do. And the irony is that while these people do understand the freeing nature of grace, it's true, you could do anything. As God's favor is provided independent of the individual, these people subsequently distort, distort grace totally different than the previous two. Instead of grace yielding greater holiness in a sanctified life as it's designed to do, Grace becomes seen as a license for whatever goes. Unmerited favor in place of sin, plus Jesus' complete forgiveness concerning sin, is viewed as an unrestricted permit to sin. <laughs> it's, it's the Romans 6-1 mentality. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Sadly, while it's true that if you're worried grace can become a license for you to sin, you have a fundamental misunderstanding of grace. Grace never causes a person to sin. Don't blame grace if you're a moron. It's equally true that if you see grace as a license to sin, you have totally distorted and perverted grace. Here's the truth. If the basis of your relationship with Jesus is grace so I can do whatever I want, then you fall into a, a, a sad mentality. You not only don't understand grace, but you're mocking the death and the resurrection, the power of what Jesus did on the cross. It's why in Romans 6, 2, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You see, if you grasp the true gospel of grace, period, you will understand that being saved and sanctified by grace transforms who you are and therefore what you want to do. For when the heart changes, as you enter this love relationship with Jesus, your desires will also naturally change. You no longer live to please Jesus because you have to. You live to please Jesus because you now want to. Hi, my name is David Guzik, and I'm a friend of Zach and the entire team at Outlaw Radio. One of the things I like most about Outlaw Radio is Zach's desire to challenge Christians to think critically, ask relevant questions, and then pursue answers on their own. The sad reality is too many Christians don't know what they believe yet alone why they believe what they do. This is why, in addition to Outlaw Radio tackling the tough topics you might not hear at church on Sundays, their desire is to equip, inspire, and challenge you to dig into God's Word and wrestle with these complex topics on your own. To help you in this process, Zach wanted me to let you all know of two free resources essential for any serious Bible student. Aside from my full Bible commentary available at EnduringWord.com, the resources you can access at BlueLetterBible.org will truly transform the way you study the Bible. Aside from their treasure trove of free commentaries, BlueLetterBible.org also has an incredible word search function, making it easy to dive into the original languages behind a biblical text. So if you want to dig deeper into your study of Scripture, check out EnduringWord.com as well as BlueLetterBible.org. 
Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. I'm discussing legalism and these anti-gospel distortions. Grace, instead of grace, period. It's grace and do these things. Or grace, but don't do these things. Or grace, so I can do anything. All three are a distortion of the of the wonderful gospel that it's that that grace is all you need. That grace transforms everything because I enter a love relationship with Jesus. I'm filled with His Spirit. A, a work occurs in me that then works out of me. I wanna I wanna attempt to illustrate what makes legalism so counterintuitive. Um. I want to illustrate it in in a way that that I think is apt, but I I just need you to know up front that I'm I'm really, I'm not trying to make light of a serious psychological issue, but but here goes. Bruce Jenner genuinely believes himself to be a woman. So much so that he has grown out his hair, taken hormone treatments, had plastic surgery to give himself breasts, gone under the knife to create more feminine facial structures, changed his legal name to Caitlyn and gender classification on his ID, dresses like a woman, and has exchanged male for female plumbing. And yet, if I may be bold enough to say it, the truth is that none of these behavioral or physical modifications of his flesh have changed the reality that Caitlyn's internal constitution, Bruce Jenner, is still male. Acting like a woman, changing your personal pronoun, and mutilating yourself so that you now possess the female anatomy does not change the fact you still possess a Y chromosome and will therefore always be genetically and biologically male. Now, if you research gender dysphoria and transgenderism, these are real things, you're going to find study after study after study, even from John Hopkins University, that demonstrate how reassignment surgeries not only fail to effectively alleviate the underlying psychological issue, but in the end, create much more severe problems. Now, here's my point. Follow me. Behavioral or physical modifications can never change a person's internal constitution. It simply defies what is natural. (laughs) You can get down on all fours and act like a dog. But that will never make you a dog any more than sleeping in a garage makes you a car or only consuming an exclusive diet of cookies makes you the cookie monster. You see, people who focus on their works in the attempts of changing their internal constitution to please God end up creating nothing more than a pseudo moralism legalism that God finds to be perverse. Like, like, let me apply it this way. Acting like Jesus is not how a person becomes like Jesus or Christ-like. You see, legalism demands things to do or refrain from doing in the flesh in order to be more like Christ. And yet, sadly, that approach is about as successful as Bruce Jenner becoming a woman. Sure, on the surface, there is a persona of godliness. In the same way that Caitlin physically looks like a lady. But the more time you spend around a legalist, the more off things become. Just like you hear Caitlin start talking and you hear Bruce. The truth 
is it seeking to become like Christ by acting like Christ or what I would call the WWJD heresy? It's not what Jesus would do. I can't do what Jesus does. I need Jesus to do it. And I need to get out of the way. See, seeking to become like Christ by acting like Christ ends up being why so many legalistic Christians ultimately do this. They end up presenting a contorted, warped, mutilated version of what Jesus is actually like. This is why the world has such negative perspectives of Jesus from observing Christians. Sadly, I've found that Jesus is most often misrepresented the most by the people who are trying their hardest to be like him. Like, understand, real behavioral modification, like real change in your behaviors can only take place when a natural change first occurs within a person's internal constitution. This is why in order to be godly, in order to be like Jesus, what must first happen? Huh. Well, legalism will say, uh, here's some things you need to do, and here's another list of things you need to sacrifice and not do. And in doing those things, you'll be more like Jesus. N no, you won't. You'll misrepresent him. If you want to be like Jesus, what must first happen is that you have to undergo a genuine transformation in the inside, in your internal constitution, this this spirit, the Bible says, the Bible says that, that that this heart of stone must be removed and replaced with the heart of God. You see, physical works, works done in your flesh, have no role in the process. They're actually counter to the process. You see, what we call this work, when, when we're talking about this this internal change that then works its way out what grace does a relationship with jesus we, we call this scripturally speaking what the bible says is it's 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 regeneration like please know god is not oprah he's not dr phil god is not interested in making you a better you instead what, what god's what god's wanting to do is to make you into something brand new. He's wanting to change you entirely. It's why Paul would say, old things have passed away, all things are becoming new. He, he refers to his, his new life as, as I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. It, it actually really boils down to, to the very thing that Jesus discussed with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus is, is wanting to know how you're saved, and Jesus then starts talking about being what? Born again. And that blows Nicodemus' mind, right? I mean, I mean, he's like, what are you talking about? Like, how can you be born again? Do you, like, crawl back up into your mom and then come back out? Like, like what are you talking about? And Jesus is like, like, you have to be born in water, but you also must be born in spirit. And Jesus unpacks this, and he, and he talks about the spiritual birth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Regeneration, rebirth, to be born again, becoming a new creation 
It occurs when Jesus indwells your life through his spirit. Think about it like this. If Bruce Jenner, way back when he's struggling with, with these psychoses, these psychological issues, before he started plastic surgery and growing his hair out, before he did anything physically to himself, if Bruce Jenner went to a doctor and there was advancements in science and he was given the option to have his core internal genetics changed from male to female so that his physical transformation would happen naturally, organically, like he wouldn't need to have any of these grueling surgeries? Don't you think he would have jumped at the opportunity? You have two options, Bruce. You can mutilate yourself to look like a woman, or we can change your internal constitution so that you are a woman, and then all of these changes will happen naturally. Are you seeing what I'm trying to say here? I think it's a, a really apt illustration. You see, it's sad when we apply the same type of logic to our Christian lives. Legalism wants to say, hey, you need to be like Jesus. And here's a bunch of things that you need to do in your flesh to be like Jesus. It's grace, sure, and here's a list of things for you to do. You need to give, and you need to go here, and you need to serve, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. We just provide this list of things that I need to do. What would Jesus do? And then I do them, hoping that in doing them, I'm going to change who I am. And all that's yielded is this twisted, perverted, mutilated version. In Philippians 3, Paul actually, he calls it the concision, the mutilation, versus we being the true circumcision. It's a weird analogy Paul plays on. But his point is like, there's a genuine work that God does in our heart that works its way through, and then there's this mutilated work we try to do in our flesh to present the persona that we're something that we we aren't. See, it's sad when legalists cut themselves. We cut this out. We cut that off. And the attempts of making ourselves into the very thing that Jesus, ironically, wants to make us naturally. How? Not through our works, not through our energies, not through our efforts, but through the indwelling of his spirit. I love the song, The the Inside Out. Because it so typifies, it explains the gospel. Grace and grace alone says that I'm filled with the spirit who I am has changed. Once again, it's not making you a better you. It's making you into something you're not. And that can only happen through a supernatural work of God done inside of you that then works its way out. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Outlaw Radio Show. We'll be right back. That's worth repeating. God doesn't want to make me a better me. He wants to make me something entirely different. Zach's going to continue talking about legalism in the second half of the Outlaw Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. In the first 
first half of the Outlaw Radio Show, you heard Pastor Zach talking about legalism. What's grace? Here's Zach with part two of today's edition of the Outlaw Radio Show. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show. We're talking about legalism and how we have these gospel distortions. Instead of just grace and grace alone, knowing that that transformation happens inside of me and then works its way out, we want to give room for the flesh to have an involvement. So we say grace and here's a list of things you can do, either to earn God's favor or at a minimum to maintain it, or it's grace, but don't do these things. So God's pleased. Paul. Paul writes a lot about this topic. As a matter of fact, Paul Paul combats legalism in his writings more than probably any other concept. Constantly, Paul is is refuting these things. He he deals with it in Acts chapter 15, which kind of ends up being the thesis statement for, for then the Cliff Notes, which is the book of Galatians, Paul's fighting epistle, and then he builds on it even further in, in Romans. Paul. Paul could just not understand especially from his religious background, the appeal of legalism, especially in light of grace. Don't forget, Paul was a religious zealot. Paul was, Paul was blameless according to the law. Paul persecuted the church. Paul, Paul thought that he was the man. And then Jesus knocked him on his butt, right? The road to Damascus. And when he expected judgment and wrath and being smited, Jesus then demonstrated grace, and it changed his life. It changed Paul's life. And for Paul, Paul just could not understand the appeal of legalism in light of grace. I mean, I mean, really, who cares what I do in the context of what Jesus has done? Or who cares really about sacrifices that I make when the shadow of Jesus' sacrifice is so encompassing? I mean, who cares about my ability When you consider Jesus' sufficiency, or who cares at all about the flesh, the self, when the only important thing in this life is knowing Jesus. Now, knowing Jesus, that idea, I want to unpack that for a second. You know, the Bible says faith, faith, or, or one's total confidence and the power of God's grace is demonstrated through Jesus' death on the cross. That it's not works based in the law. It's faith and grace demonstrated through Jesus' death. That that is the only mechanism by which a person is justified before God. The Bible's clear on this. In Philippians, Paul says that his whole desire is to gain Christ And to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You know, many of us understand this truth, at least least on an intellectual or conceptual level. But, But most people really do, I've found, struggle with the practicalities of how all of this stuff works. Which, let's be honest, is important for understanding the practicalities of how grace justifies you before God is paramount if you're going to understand the practicalities of how grace then transforms your life from sin into godliness, right? Sadly, and this is where I think a lot of confusion gets manifested, Christians have developed this notion that salvation is a work that Jesus did apart from your involvement, which is true, 
and that the only role you now play is acceptance by faith, which is not exactly true. And let me explain. Most mainstream views of salvation end up being relegated to something like this. I prayed the prayer of salvation, accepting the fact that Jesus died on the cross to atone for my sin so that I can receive his imparted righteousness and be declared justified before God. And that all sounds, that sounds nice. But it's no wonder then that people have a hard time understanding what follows making such a prayer. Like since salvation is seen as something that you have, something you possess, something given and received, most really struggle with the idea of of like, what do I do next? Which leads to grace and or grace but, because legalism wants to jump in and say exactly what to do next. Do these things and don't do these things. See, understand, there is a fundamental reality that makes legalism baseless. And, And this is it. Every aspect of your salvation, from your forgiveness to atonement to justification to righteousness, every aspect of your salvation occurs via a relational association with Jesus. And it's not a golden ticket you receive to get to the Willy Wonka factory in heaven. You see, salvation, according to scripture, salvation demands an intertwining, a fusing together of your life and Jesus's through faith. See, salvation is not some mysterious thing you have or possess. Rather, salvation is something you experience. Like, for example, why does God accept Jesus' atonement for your sin? And what we mean by atonement is the wages of sin is death. So the payment, the atonement to, to, to satisfy the payment for your sin. Why does God accept Jesus' payment? And the answer is because you died with Jesus on the cross. Like Paul makes this point in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he adds in Romans chapter 6, if, if we have been united together in the likeness of Jesus' death, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. But, but I also want you to consider, If Jesus atoned for your sin because you died with Jesus on the cross, how does God declare you righteous and justified before him? And the answer, because you died with Christ, you're now dead and Christ lives in you. Like since atonement occurs when you died with Jesus, a new life is yielded where? In his resurrection. It's what makes the resurrection, which is coming up, Easter is on the horizon, it's what makes it so important. You were resurrected to life, how? Through Jesus' resurrection. And this is what that means. It's, 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 it's radical. But what it means that you're dead and now Christ lives in you, when God sees you, guess what? He no longer sees you, but he sees Jesus. And Jesus' righteousness in you. Like this is what Paul means and. and in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, that he says that I might know Jesus and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. You see, when God evaluates your life and mine, the Bible says he sees me just as if I'd never sinned, and that happens for one reason and one reason alone. God sees me, but he doesn't see me. He sees Jesus, 
living in me. Paul, Paul continues that thought actually in Galatians 2.20. He says, uh, I've been crucified with Christ. And he says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I, I will admit, the idea of Jesus living in me, that seems weird. As a matter of fact, if you're listening to this and, you, and you're not a Christian, that, that, that just seems like a really bizarre thing. So, so let, me, let me explain what, what, what we mean by that. Christ coming and living inside of us. Because he actually doesn't. Jesus is in heaven on the right hand of the Father, acting as our, our mediator and advocate. He's our high priest, the Bible tells us. He's not in our hearts. In Romans 8, this is what Paul says. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And and then he goes and he explains. You see, the indwelling of the person of Jesus, this is how it occurs. It occurs through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my point. The essential reality is that every single aspect and process involved in your saving and your sanctifying, You being made right with God and becoming more Christ-like. It all demands a relational association with Jesus. This is why the Bible over and over and over again in Scripture says that you're in Him, that you're in Christ. Positionally, you identify with Jesus. Practically, the Spirit is inside of you. Romans 6, verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Where? In Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, salvation is not a voucher program provided by Jesus you receive by faith, but is instead a new identity brought forth through a relational association initiated by Jesus that you continue in faith. Your salvation occurs only if you're living in Christ Jesus. And it's with that thought that we'll pick things back up when we come back here on the Outlaw Radio Show. One of the missions of Outlaw Radio is to bring your attention to ministry resources that will benefit your personal study of the Bible and spiritual growth. With this in mind, we want you to check out Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Not only is their vision to help the thinker believe, but they exist to help the believer think. To accomplish both of these aims, their website, rzim.org, is filled with tons of free resources aimed at not only answering your own difficult questions, but with the intention of providing the necessary tools to defend your faith in an ever-growing hostile world. Once again, you can learn more about Ravi Zacharias International Ministries by visiting rzim.org. That's rzim.org. Welcome back to the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. We're talking about legalism and what legalism just really distorts. And we'll define legalism as really anything that you base your relationship with God on other than Jesus. And what he did for you on the cross, what was accomplished through his resurrection, the indwelling of his spirit, and this relationship that you have, salvation is not a voucher program. It's not a golden ticket given by Jesus you receive and now possess. I've got the golden ticket. Instead, it's a new reality, a transformation, a new birth, a new internal constitution began, initiated, continued by faith through a relationship you have with Jesus. Now, let me illustrate with the time we have left this entire idea with, with, with this idea. 
an illustration, a little story. Like, what if I went to the hottest club in Atlanta on the most happening night of the year, and I tried to get into a club when the weekend before I had partied with a group of friends, got hammered, tried to find a security guard, threw up all over the DJ turntables, got thrown out, right? If I go back the next weekend, there is not a chance in the world that they're going to let me in. Why? Because I totally epically blew it, right? In myself, on my own, I'm not getting in. I have fallen short. Unless, let's just say, a stretch limo pulls up to the front door of this club. Now, don't forget, the last weekend I blew it. But this weekend, I pull up in a limo and I get out with my close personal friend, Christopher Bridges, a.k.a. Ludacris, who just so happens to own the club, right? Now, you can imagine that since I'm with Luda, not only am I able to now avoid the line, but security lets me in without asking any questions. I'm escorted to the VIP, and I'm given an unlimited tab. Like Now, here's the, here's the difference, right? Since I'm in this dynamic rolling with Ludacris, not only now are my past transgressions immediately forgiven and my slate white clean, but it's his reputation and his privileges that are afforded to me as well. Not because of me. As a matter of fact, in spite of me, if I'm found to be with Luda, everything else takes care of itself. Now, now keep in mind, this favor that I'm enjoying has absolutely nothing to do with who I am, nor is there anything that I did to earn it. In fact, you can make the case, I don't deserve it. Instead, the favor I'm enjoying has everything to do with who I have a relational association with. Think about it. And this is what many don't understand about salvation. Me having Uber drop me off by the front door of the club. Me approaching security, right? Me coming up and telling them, you've got to let me in. Yeah, I know I blew it last weekend. I knew I, I've fallen short. I knew I was a fool. I, I, I know. I don't, I don't deserve it. But you got to let me in. Here's why. Because I'm with Ludacris. Now, if I make that argument when I'm not actually with Ludacris, they're not going to let me in, right? They're not going to give me access. Like, I can even go a step further, right? And this is what legalism does. You see, I, I, can, I can explain to that security guard that Luda and I, man, we're tight. I mean, we're tight. And, and and he's like, well, how, like, how are you tight with Ludacris? And then I explain, like, bro, we're tight because you know what? I hang around a lot of people who know Ludacris. You know, as a matter of fact, like, I give money faithfully, and I'm a member of the fan club, Luda Nation. Beyond that, you know what? I faithfully attend his concerts every Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And beyond that, I know all the words to Ludaverse. I can present these works, these things, but they're all going to prove to be pointless. Why? Because none of them are actually evidence that, that, I, that I have a personal relationship with Ludacris. Like, I can even demand, right? That security call Luda. But when he answers the phone, you know what he's going to say upon hearing my name? I don't know him. 
know how interesting that the only criteria of heaven is knowing Jesus. The, the, the words, friend, you never want to hear in your existence is to stand and hear Jesus looking at you say, depart. Why? Because you didn't do enough or you didn't do this. You didn't No, depart because I don't know you. No, knowing it's a relationship. This is why the gospel of grace, period, is so absolutely amazing. And why the these anti-gospels of grace and or grace, but are just are are so appalling. You see, grace, period. It declares that all you need to be forgiven, all you need for your sins to be atoned for, all you need to be justified before God and declared righteous, all you need. It's not grace and do these things or grace, but make these sacrifices. All you need is an active relationship with Jesus Christ. Because salvation is not something you have, but is instead someone you know. This thought of what do I do now, which legalism so wants to quickly answer, it's not about what do I do now. That's that's a misunderstanding of salvation. Yes, salvation, it is something that you've been given by Jesus. It's something... That's true. That has to be received in faith. But but let me ask you this. Like, what are you actually given? Like, what does salvation give you? The answer? And it's not rocket science. If you're lost, and there's nothing you can do about it, like the, the very notion of salvation is your need to be saved. Your need to be saved then can only be remedied by someone to save you. You see, salvation, what what are you given? You're given a savior whose name is Jesus. That's what you're given in salvation. That's what Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection affords you. A relationship with God, a high priest, access to be declared a son and a daughter. Like you're saved through God's grace and that you've been given a relationship with Jesus to be enjoyed and to be continued in. You see, what do I do now? The fundamental lie of legalism is replaced with this glorious truth that you're given a savior you now get to know. A relationship with Jesus. This is why Paul, he fights legalism. He attacks legalism. Legalism frustrated him. Why do I need to worry about what I'm doing when it's all about what Jesus did and me grabbing hold of that? Paul says in Philippians, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of me. And what is it? It's a relationship with Jesus. It was a savior. Grace changed Paul's life. How? Was it a concept? No. It was what that concept allowed, a relationship with the risen Lord. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It was a relationship with Jesus that changed Saul to Paul. How awesome. 
Well, listen, we're wrapping up the show. We're about to run out of time. I really appreciate you you joining me. You've been listening, as we've mentioned, to the Outlaw Radio Show. My name is Zach Adams. Uh, I'm so thankful that there is an audience. You got to understand, radio is a weird thing. Presently, I'm sitting in my studio. On the far end of the room, I've got a television. Yeah, it's Fox News. I'm watching the news. I'm looking straight ahead at my refrigerator. It's a weird thing radio is because you're, you're, you're talking to an empty room without any idea who is sitting in the chair across from my desk. And there is an empty chair. Not to pull a cliche illustration from Clint Eastwood, but you're sitting in this chair. And I'm just thankful that there are people out there that are listening. And, and, and I want to ask that you do three things really quick. First, um, please contact your local station and tell them that you're thankful that they're carrying Outlaw Radio in your community. And secondly, check out our website. Our website is outlawradio.org. Uh, one of the challenges of radio is, is you might have missed the first half. Uh, unless you've been driving around for the, the entire hour, there's probably aspects of what we've been talking about that you weren't able to listen to. That's why you can go to our website and check out our podcast. It's available on iTunes, Google Play. You can listen again to this episode or any of the previous episodes. And then finally, please connect with me. Uh, please reach out via Twitter at radio underscore outlaw. Send me an email at info at outlawradio.org. Or you can follow us via Facebook, The Radio Outlaw. Once again, I'm Zach Adams, and I hope you join me again this time next week for the Outlaw Radio Show. You've been listening to the one and only Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. As mentioned, if you like what you heard, be sure to connect with us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter or check out our website by visiting outlawradio.org. To listen again to today's show, access our daily two-minute broadcast or full-length episodes, check out the Outlaw Radio podcast, available on both iTunes and Google Play. Once again, don't forget, we want to hear from you if you have questions, want to challenge something that was said, or would like to submit topics you'd like to hear Zach discuss on air, you can either email us at info at outlawradio.org or you can leave a voicemail at 678-883-3316. Finally, programs like Outlaw Radio are wonderful tools God can use to change lives. But as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. First, if you're not tithing to your local church, you need to do so. And yet, if God has laid it upon your heart to extend your generosity above and beyond your tithe, we'd ask that you prayerfully consider supporting Outlaw Radio. Every donation ensures this show remains on your local station. To learn how you can become a financial partner, please visit outlawradio.org. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We hope you join us again next week for the Outlaw Radio Show with Zach Adams. Outlaw Radio is a ministry of Calvary 316 in partnership with his productions.